Well, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, as we continue our study of this amazing book from God. Uh, just as an opening point, as we look at the kind of weekly briefings, you know, last week's and also today's, where it kind of sums up the, you know, this section that runs through chapter 14 into the 15th chapter, where you know, we've kind of made the, the overall uh, description to be that uh, brotherly love you know, does not put a stumbling block, does not put a stumbling block before one who is in Christ by judging his conscientious convictions in the Lord. And we've added to that in our study of Romans 14, you know, this statement where Christ-mindedness pursues what upholds peace, peace in the kingdom, and builds up one another so that with one voice, God is glorified. And so we're going to continue to kind of talk about the things that are brought out in chapter 14 as we try to glean from this book you know, the application of being living sacrifices to God and also to one another. As we have already introduced in our discussion of Romans 14, you know, this chapter particularly is teaching Christians, instructing us as Christians how to lovingly walk and work together, particularly when there are personal differences which grow out of a conscientious belief, a belief about the rightfulness of a brother's own conduct or the rightfulness of a brother's own participation in a practice with which he doubts. And so it is a matter of faith, but it's a matter of faith in which he is not fully convinced he has the liberty to do something. Or he is not fully convinced that he has the liberty to refrain from something from which the gospel has freed him. And so there's a number of of, of subjects the New Testament brings up that in the first century that Christians wrestled with in coming to Christ. And two of those are found in our section where it talks about the eating of meats and the observing of days. And so, you know, those are the two specific things that are brought out in Romans with an emphasis on the subject of whether you can eat or not eat. But there are other subjects as well that we talked about briefly or mentioned last week that are also discussed where there you had various conscientious convictions about whether you should or shouldn't do something, such as the subject of circumcision and also even the subject of marriage. And what we need to understand about this idea of these areas of differences and areas of conscientious convictions is that God... God is not silent on any of these subjects. So it's not like God has not said something about all of these. And so it's not like God has, you know, has not legislated anything about the subject. And so there's a number of passages I'm going to very quickly refer to that illustrate that these things you know, have an answer from God. And so, for example, in John 1.17, it says, The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so there is a distinction. There is a, a, a difference between these two systems. Galatians 3, verse 25 says, Now that faith has come, 
we are no longer under a tutor. And in Galatians 3, the tutor is the law. He says, we're not under the law anymore once the faith has come. Hebrews 8 says, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Speaking of the first covenant you know, that God had made with Israel, associated with the law of Moses, that is obsolete. And then you start looking at some of the practical applications you know, that grow out of you know, that change of law and change of covenant. For example, in Galatians 6, 15, you know, the Spirit has Paul write, neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, was that a subject that people differed on and conscientiously had differences on? Yes. And sometimes that became a problem. And so it had to be addressed. And so God has said something about this, but it didn't mean that automatically all Christians came to an immediate agreement in their personal application of it. In Colossians 2, 15 and 16, in the context that to that church, Paul, by the Spirit, writes, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These things which were a shadow of which is to come. Or then one more, 1 Corinthians 4, 4 and 5, Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy 4 and 4 and 5, where it says, everything created by God is good. Nothing is to, be, is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. And, in, and the two particular specific applications in 1 Timothy chapter 4 was foods and marriage. Those are the two things that have been sanctified by the means of God's word and prayer, and therefore are good, even though people were saying something different along that line. So, in the context of Romans 14, and talking about these differences, you know, between brethren at the church of Rome, and these are differences that other churches wrestled with, what we, what we see here is the Holy Spirit through Paul says, God, you know, God is speaking here, God, he says, God accepts both. God accepts both the brother who personally eats meat. But also, God also accepts the brother who personally decides not to eat meat. And so there, there is this idea that both have the liberty to decide what you eat or not eat based upon your own personal conviction. And we can understand that particularly the Jew coming out of Judaism, out from under the old law, you know, you think generations of God-ordained traditions, things have been passed on down, and how suddenly yesterday you, you, know, you weren't supposed to eat it, but now today suddenly you can. Sometimes some of those specific applications are hard to make. It takes us some time. And so here in Romans 14, in the idea of being living sacrifices to God you know, it is also to be manifested in the relationship we have with each other and having this, an attitude toward one another that God says, okay, the law has changed, we're, not, we're under a different covenant, There's, there are some liberties that Christians have, both Jews and Gentiles, that they didn't have before, there are these liberties, but he says, in this situation, when you've got the individual who conscientiously still has some doubts 
about what he personally can or cannot do. He says, God says, I'm accepting both. I accept the brother who decides he will eat the meat, and I'm going to accept the brother who decides he won't eat the meat. It goes, and also it says, even in chapter 14, it talks about how the gospel here reveals in the 14th chapter that all Christians have the liberty regard every day alike. You know, the gospel gives all Christians the liberty to say all days are the same. But the point is, the converted believer, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, the converted believer to Christ, as he matures, sometimes it takes us some time and some work to discern these liberties in Christ without doubts, especially when you're making some pretty big changes in your life. When you're, you know, when you're changing you know, a sense of a system of practices when it comes to what is holy and what is not holy, what has God ordained, what has God not ordained. So in the first half of chapter 14, two, just two quick you know, summation statements, I think, in the standpoint of the application is, okay, one, accept one another in Christ as God accepts all who are obedient to the faith. If a person is obeying the, the one faith, the point is, okay, accept one another in Christ. And, in this, and then with that, he goes on to say, okay, so therefore do not judge a brother as committing sin whom God has not condemned of wrongdoing. Yeah. So those are two applications I think we can draw out of the first half of chapter 14. With that said, that's a pretty lengthy review. Let us pick up our reading in the 14th chapter of, at verse 14. Chapter 14, verse 14. I'm going to read down simply through the first verse of chapter 15. So I'm going to finish reading the chapter and just do the first verse of the next one. He says, so here's Paul writing by the Spirit and says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we pursue things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean. But they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now he, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, 
and not just please ourselves. So we'll finish up you know, uh, kind of discussing this section of Romans today in 14 and 15. And then the first point I just simply want to bring out in the second half of chapter 14 is this, and that is the kingdom of God is all about righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what the kingdom is all about. And, he, and clearly in this last section, there is an emphasis kind of honing in on the differences of conviction about the clean and the unclean, what you can eat, what you can eat, cannot eat. He doesn't, he doesn't go into the days in the second half, but it really gets into the, the food aspect of it. But you think about the kingdom, the nature of, of Christ's kingdom, and that is the nature of the kingdom is such that divine principles... The nature of the kingdom is that God's principles are to be the guide and the governance of our actions. That's, that's the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is, to, is such that it is to transform us into living sacrifices of God that present their entire life in holiness. And particularly in the context of Romans 14 and 15 is the treatment of one another in Christ. That's the emphasis here, is how do I treat my brother in Christ who has a conscientious object, uh, uh, difference or uh, conviction about something he's doubting. He, he, he's, he's not quite ready to accept this or change this aspect in his life. Even though he has obeyed the gospel, he's called upon the name of the Lord in obedience to Christ. He is worshiping God. He, you know, he's observing the Lord's Supper. You know, he's doing the things, but he's got these, these other aspects that he's just not quite ready to, to fully accept how he can be free to do that or not. And so righteousness has to play into how, how, how am I going to treat my brother that I differ with on a matter whether I should eat or not should eat? You know, how, how, can I, how can we work together when we both have different practices in our personal life on that subject? And so he says, well, the kingdom is about righteousness. The kingdom is about peace. The kingdom's about joy in the Holy Spirit. And so that is going to affect my mind and my decisions and my choice about what I'm going to do to show love, walk with love with my brother, to work with love with my brother. And so righteousness is not just about doing what's right in God's eyes, even though that's the simple definition. You know, righteousness is all about doing what's right in God's eyes, but doing what's right in God's eyes also means because you know, it's not just this idealistic thing that we study. It's to be brought down to a practical application. Righteousness also involves the idea that I must justly and fairly you know, treat my brother. And, we were, and particularly in moments where we've got some difficulty or differences. Peace with God, you know, that's a priority. We need, to be, we need to be right with God. We need to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. So that reconciliation with God through Christ, you know, that is a priority in our life. But that priority of being at peace with God also includes endeavoring to maintain peace with my brother. So you can't be right with God and, and be unjust with your brother, we can't be at peace in Christ if I 
am not dealing peacefully with my brother. So clearly, you know, all of this is going to take work, and it does. It's a lot of effort on saints' part in saints' life to work together and walk together in love as Christ directs when we've got differences like these. Chris over here. And so, you know, so that's the point is this is the overall kind of principles that are guiding the spirit to direct Paul to say the, the specific applications. Chris. So we, we're dealing with, uh, I mean, we're dealing with something where we're supposed to uh, treat each other with love, and, um, but we're, we're also dealing with a specific category of things that are not hammered down, etched in stone, that God has said, this is this, this is that. Um, so here's, uh, this is the question. Clearly we need to, even with those situations, we need to deal with each other in love. How do we, um, what's the... Where do the paths diverge when we're dealing with something that is clearly stated in the Bible versus something that is like this where you could go either way? Well, clearly, what God, what God commands to be done or what God commands not to be done, you know, you know, what God has specified, you know, we cannot veer from that. You know, and so if that has to be taught, you know, and that has to be practiced, and so when you think about something along that line, you know, obviously we've got to, got to study and work together and to learn, okay, what is God's will on this matter? Uh, but, you know, what God has specifically authorized, you know, it's not simply a matter of liberty, you know. And for example, in the subject here in Romans 14, you know, mandating, you know, that the, you, you must observe the law of Moses to be a Christian, that was wrong. And that was not a matter of liberty. And you see, you, and you see that even though that was early on in the first century, the idea of Jewish converts who were still clinging to, to the law in various aspects, such as the subject of circumcision or eating, eating or not eating of the foods, you know, them wanting to require that and mandate that on Gentile Christians to say that you must do this to be right with God, you must do this to be saved. You know, that was not allowed. And so you've got Acts 15, and you've got you know, the whole book of Galatians addressing the subject of if you try to seek justification by the law itself and saying these, these specific, specific things are required, then, uh, then you have severed yourself from Christ and, you, and you're severed yourself from grace. And so, you, you, so and that's, and what God has said, you, we can't veer from. But in the areas that God says, okay, in this application, you know, he says, this falls, that's why he says, this falls within a liberty. And so, you know, go back to the point of the eating of meats here. And so you've got in the church at Rome where, okay, you've got the Jewish convert perhaps who can't eat this meat without always doubting. And he's been, he's been given freedom to eat that meat, but he, he hasn't matured to the point that he can do that. And so God says, he doesn't have to eat the meat. He can still serve Christ, be faithful to me. He lives the rest of life not ever eating pork again. And he never ate pork. That's okay. He doesn't have to be poor, eat pork to be saved. But you know, will that save him? Will him not eating pork save him? No. You know, 
That's not a required aspect of holiness. And so, in the, so that's the thing where God places certain things within liberties, you know, we've got to allow those differences to be. But where God has not placed something as a liberty, as an individual conscientious practice, then, you know, we've got to hold to the pattern, such as the subject of baptism. You know, is baptism necessary to be saved or not? That's not a matter of, okay, if you, if you are, you know, that's okay. If you're not, that's okay. No, you know, it must be saved to do that. Any other thing, to, anyone to add to that question? So let's kind of look at, look kind of specifically as we think into, you know, this idea, okay, the, the kingdom principles that guide us. And so once again, he's emphasizing in this you know, last half of the chapter, really the, the food question. That's, that's kind of where he kind of hones in. And so perhaps this was the greater issue. We don't know specifically. Obviously, these two points, food and days, were things that uh, the church at Rome was, was dealing with. You know, and so you have the question of you know, these religious distinctions, not dietary, <laughs> You know, we're not talking about dietary restrictions. We're talking about religious distinctions about clean and unclean foods. What is considered to be, to be holy and unholy. You know, and so these were matters that Christians you know, in the first century differed. They differed on this because of their background. And at times it caused division. At times it caused people to violate their consciences and so that's kind of the issue here where, you know, the spirit is directing the church is on these issues that God says, hey, I'm okay if, if he keeps not eating that meat. I'm okay with that if he's following Christ, you know, and I'm okay with the, the other one who, do, who eats all that meat if he's following Christ, you know, it's okay, you know, when it comes to what they eat or don't eat, you know. As long as you are of one mind, you're treating each other with love, and you're, not, and you're not causing the other one that you differ with to do something against his conscience. So think about it. So righteousness and peace and joy in the kingdom, that, the kingdom work does not require food laws to be holy. Yeah. Food laws to be holy are, are not required anymore. Were food laws required in the Old Testament? Yes. And if they violated, they were unholy. And they sinned. But not any longer, see? So kingdom, the kingdom is not about the eating and not eating thing. That's not really what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy. But this freeing knowledge did not give anyone on either side of the question on either side of the difference, it did not get, give anyone the right to please himself regardless of the possible consequences. See, that, that's kind of, the, the, kind of where the rubber's meeting the road here. You, know, the, you got these differences. God has legislated what, what, he, what, he fe, what he feels about this. And that's what Romans 14, he's telling us, this is what my will is on this matter. He says, but, he says, you need to be considerate. You need to be, you know, thinking about the other brother. Because liberties in Christ should never cause any Christian to be inconsiderate of the other Christian's spiritual immaturities or the other Christian's spiritual doubts. 
Once again, the weak in faith brother is not that it's not he's weak in the sense, does he believe in God or not? No, that's not the question. It's not about faith in Jesus or not. No, that's not the question. It's about his personal rightfulness of what he can or cannot do conscientiously because of his personal faith. Because here in chapter 14, the Holy Spirit says, look in verse 14, the Holy Spirit said, it taught, no food was unclean. But there's still, there are, there's not, but there's Christians who feel that it is. See? The Spirit just said, there is no food that's unclean. But there's some new Christians that aren't there yet. Paul goes on to say in the 20th verse of the same chapter, he says, all foods are clean. You know, very specific. It's, nothing's unclean. All of it's clean when it comes to your food. There's none of this is holy versus unholy in relation to God. But that did not eliminate the fact among the, those Christians, there were Christians, there were brethren, ancient brethren of ours, who wrestled with this. Yeah. You know, they've heard the gospel. <laughs> they, know, they know this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think this is new to the Romans. But Paul, by the Spirit, is having to remind them you know, these, 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 this truth. But they're still wrestling, they're wrestling with this. You know, because they've, they've got some personal doubts. They've got some differences of personal uh, consciences. You know, and, and so that's why the, the, in verse 16, the good thing, he says, do not let what is good for you be spoken of evil. What's the good thing? The good thing is you have been freed in Christ. You have liberty in Christ. That's the good thing. You, know, you can eat whatever you want to eat. You can observe all days you know, alike. You know, you've been freed from some things, from, you know, from a different system. And so, but just because you know you've been freed doesn't mean, you know, you're there, your conscience is there yet. Or like I say, you just got these, you know, feelings. You just, you know, like, you, you know, you just don't feel right in doing it because you've, you've, You've never eaten that. You know, what, what did Peter, how, what was Peter's response when he was given the vision about eating the unclean things in the sheet? Yes, no, no, never, Lord. I will not do that, you know. You know, implying that he, he had never, you know, that's not say Peter it was without sin even in that point, but, uh, but at the point, he had never transgressed God when it came to the food loss, <laughs> that was one law he never violated. He said, no, I would never do that. And God says, now, Peter, if I say it's clean, it's clean. See, God said it was unclean, but now God says it's clean. See, that was, that was, that was a, 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 a hurdle for Peter. And so we, we shouldn't be surprised that if apostles wrestled with some of the things to get to you know, what they can do. Why, yes, there's going to be among Christians in the first century, and even today sometimes there's going to be some things that the gospel clearly says, God has spoken on this message, you know, you have liberty in this area, but you're like, ah, I'm not so sure about this. And so in, in the church, in the church at uh, Rome, You've got members, you know, members of Christ, you know, that um, are not fully convinced. 
you know, they're not, they're not all at the same level of maturity. And we, we recognize that. Yeah. And, and, and some of that's based upon what we're coming out of. You know, our past affects where we are in the present sometimes. And so you have here in the church, you've got Christians who are not fully convinced about the personal application of what they can eat or what they cannot eat. Once again, you're in, in, in my understanding of Romans 14, you're not talking about the assembly. You're not talking about what we're doing in the assembly. You're talking about what people are doing themselves, whether they ate this or didn't eat that, whether they observed the day or didn't observe the day. You're talking about personal applications. And the reason why, and so he says this because, you know, we've all been called to righteousness. We've all been called to peace and joy. And so if, if that's our guiding principles, if that's what's governing us, then we're not going to charge forward. We're not gonna just going to run ahead without considering, well, wait a minute. How will my personal actions influence someone else? Particularly when I am aware I'm aware that my brother or sister has some conscientious issues in, in, in their life. I, if I know this, yeah, and even though I have the knowledge that says I have the liberty to do this, but I know they, they're not there quite yet, I am not to just run ahead and in a sense kind of push, push myself through without considering how my actions, my example may influence them, discourage them, or even, and this is what you know, these sections emphasize, maybe cause that brother to sin by violating his content, him going ahead and doing something that he's doubting he should do, but he's been pressured to do it. He's been pressured to do it. And so that's why in this context he says, if that's the case, both of you are sinning. Both are sinning. The offender and the offended commit a sin. Because our goodness, our, the, the, the goodness of the liberties in Christ, particularly the specific example here has to do with the eating of meat, you know, the unclean versus the, uh, the clean. You know, the, you know, that freedom to eat whatever I want to eat may become an opportunity for the devil to cause both of us to stray from righteousness, peace, and joy. And so, you know, so the, and that's, you know, that's kind of the gist of the, this latter half of, of it. It's say, hey, there is freedom in Christ, and God, God has spoken on, on the issue. He says, okay, you know, the obedient believer who eats all kinds of food, I accept and the obedient believer that doesn't eat all kinds of food because he still feels that some of it's unclean, he says, I accept that brother too. Because you know, the kingdom is not about food. And, you know, and those that are still kind of holding on to some so-called holy days, and though others who recognize you know, all days are alike, he says, I accept both of those. But the point is, is everyone's not maturing to the point that they can just start doing or not doing something without their conscience wrestling. And so he says, so you need to recognize the kingdom is about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy. And if you are not considering you know, you know, other people's conscientious issues, if you're not being considerate of them, you know, 
And you know that they're ha- they're, they're, they have these things. He says, you, you're, being off- you're offending. You're causing that person to stumble. And that means both of you have sinned on the matter. Even you're, you're, you're free to eat. But if you've made your brother who's, who's doubting that to eat, you've pressured him to do that in some way, whether in your words, your example, whatever, he has gone ahead, done something he's not, he's not mature enough to do yet spiritually. He says, you both sinned. And that's not love. And so in the exercise of our daily faith, there are basi- you know, there's basically two practical things he says here in chapter 14. And that is, okay, first of all, do not do what you are not fully persuaded is right to do. That's one side of the equation. And you see that kind of in verse 20, 21. So if, if, so if, you, if, if for example, if we find ourselves, you know, where we've got a, a conscientious issue and the Lord says, well, don't violate your conscience. You know, don't do what you are not fully, completely persuaded is right to do. If you don't think that's right to do, he says, don't do it. Yeah. But the other one is this. Okay, don't cause a brother to stumble. Don't give a brother an offense so that what? So that he violates his conscience by doing what is not in accord with his faith, his personal faith. So you've got two practical instructions. How do I walk and work together in love when it comes to issues like this? Where God has spoken on a matter of faith, he's He's put some parameters in regard to liberties in Christ, and yet everyone is not all on the same page yet. He says, what do we do when we know this about each other's spiritual state or spiritual views? He says, be considerate. Treat them with one another. And so that leads right into chapter 15, where he starts at verse 1. And so therefore, you who are strong, bear the weaknesses of those without strength. It's interesting to me, he says, bear the weakness. He doesn't say just bear the weak brother. That's not what he says. He says, bear the weaknesses of that brother. Bear, and the idea of bear here is it's more than just bear with there's an idea, that's a, a, a biblical New Testament concept, bear with. The literal idea is bear up. There's slight you know, difference of nuances there, isn't there? You can bear with and not be bearing up. He says, so bear up one another in Christ. How? You look there in verse you know, 3 and 4 and you know, 5. The point is you need to bear up one another like Jesus has done. Like Christ, seek the interest of others above your own. Philippians 2. Like Christ, seek the well-being of others like Christ. That's the whole mission of Christ. And so the thing is, if we are seeking first, you know, Matthew 6, if we're seeking first God's kingdom, we're, and we're seeking first kingdom righteousness, then pleasing ourselves is not what it's about. It's not at all about pleasing ourselves. It's all, it's all about seeking one another's well-being. And so in verse 5, you, know, you see this idea of how we need to be cultivating a Christ-like mind. Because you know, that's what it's going to take to be able to bear up another in Christ. You know, if I'm not cultivating a Christ-like mind, then I'm not going to do a very good job bearing up 
the weakness of my brother. Now, we're not talking about a weakness of someone who's wrestling with a temptation of the flesh. You know, the lust of the eyes, you know, the lust of the flesh. The, you know, that's, not, that's not the kind of, you know, you know, you don't bear up that weakness. <laughs> you, know, you know, that needs to be admonished and it reproved. You know, you, know, the, you know, when you're talking about those kind of weaknesses, there's a different call. But here you're talking about the point of the weakness here is these conscientious convictions that we differ on that if we, if we don't conduct ourselves in love, we will, it will cause division among us. And, and that's not of Christ. And so he said, okay, you, we need to bear up like the mind of Christ. And he, and he goes on and he quotes in verse 3 from Psalm 69 about the reproach of those who approach you, fell on me. And he says, you know, whatever is written aforetime was written for our learning, so that through the perseverance and the courage of the scriptures we might hope. Psalm 69 is all about David dealing with enemies, and he, and he is unjustly being treated. And initially, in, you know, so often David's life foreshadowed Christ, and so in, in, in verse 3, the reproaches of those who approach you, God, fell on me, David. That's the original thought. And, it, and, and, and that's a foreshadowing of Christ. And so it's a psalm that it's about his enemies and adversaries. And he's calling for God to, to deal justly. But he is, he is unjustly having to bear up these reproaches on God's behalf, even though, you know, you know he's done nothing wrong. That's the idea here. In the same way, we are to be willing to bear up weaknesses. We are to bear up so-called sufferings, you know, for others. And so that's why it says this bill up here in the front. So that's why in verse 1 it says, The strong in faith brother is called to bear the weaknesses of the, uh, of the weak in faith brother. Bill. Yeah, I think... T- tell me what you think about this comment. So I think, like, if you look at verse 21 of chapter 14, like eating meat and drinking wine, like let's say I'm the weaker brother and, and you're okay with eating pork and drinking some wine at your house. And I come over and I'm not okay with that and that's all you offered me. Okay, big problem, big problem. So, but at the same time, uh, I think the, the inverse might be true. Like, it's not, um, uh, I'm not allowed to stay in my weakness, you know? Like, I have to be, I have to be able to be borne up in my weakness, meaning I can't say, well, the, the Bunting family eats barbecue, so I'm never talking to David, mm-hmm. ever. Right. That would be, that would be me um, staying, staying in my weakness and not allowing myself to be to be borne up, if I'm making sense. Like, you can't keep this division and say, well, I got my beliefs about Christmas, and you got yours, so we're just never going to talk. Mm-hmm. That, doesn't, uh, that doesn't work. Right. Does that make sense, mm-hmm. uh, what I'm saying? Yes. Appreciate that. Because I think in, in, back in chapter 14, now that's a good point, because it talks about you know, the, the idea of both sides judging the, the other one with contempt. And so, and I think, you know, you, and you see that. And I, I think that's a good example. Yes, it, it's, it, go both, it goes both way. And I think you're right. God, you think God is addressing the subject of, of these differences. And so there's, truth is being taught here. You think, okay, but how do we work through these, these things so that we are together 
in this. And Tali over here as well. And kind of what goes along with what Bill was saying, you know, this was new to them. Isn't there some level of need to study on these issues? They were weak in it. Doesn't mean they're going to remain that way. Their conscience over time, they may realize that, you know, it's, they're weak as in that muscle hasn't been exercised. Right. Mm -hmm. And over time, they may see, you know, there isn't a need for, you know, I don't have the same conviction that I did back then. So there's a level of study and where that will change over time. It may not be overnight and we have to be forbearing with one mm -hmm. another, but that also doesn't mean we remain in that weakness. Right. And everything's always a conscience issue and we never gain new knowledge on that. Yeah. If you see what I'm saying. I do. I appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. Uh-huh. Yeah, Karen, did you have a thought? Kind of on that same note he was talking about, uh, if you went months and didn't speak to someone in that instance, mm -hmm. I mean, that's like holding a grudge, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is wrong. So you should work together to figure out what is correct and what is not correct mm -hmm. and why you believe each mm -hmm. one believes their belief. Yes. That it's never correct to hold the grudge. Right. And mm -hmm. not try to resolve it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, and then that's it. with Romans 14 here in chapter 15, and that's why the emphasis is this idea of unity, you know, and growing together so that the differences don't divide us, don't create greater conflict and tension. And then we do, we have the right mind, the right heart toward one another. You know, we, these are people that are all accepted by God in Christ. And so in conclusion, I think, you know, the practical instruction, how do I go about? And I think you're right. The point of this is not that we don't study about this, we don't talk about this. You think about Paul by the Spirit is talking about this. He's addressing the issue. And so he, he, is, he is teaching the truth on this and then saying, Here's, here's how to work through this and some very practical instructions in this. Ultimately, how to, is, you know, and I think it goes with the idea of studying and talking about it and, you know, and interacting with it is, is, okay, edify, build up each other. And how do I do that? Well, uh, I, it's not about being, being selfish. It's, it's about seeking what's good for the other one. It's about serving Christ. How? With, through righteousness and peace and joy, but also it's me having the attitude and determination to, pursue, to, to seek the kind of things is gonna, that will bring greater peace, but in the end, I accept one another as Christ accepted them. I don't see them as outside of Christ, you know, you know condemned for, all, for, some, you know, for this wrongdoing. That's not how I see them as my brother in Christ. And I think ultimately, why? Why do we do that? And I think that's ultimately in, in, uh, in verse 6 and verse 7, chapter 15, ultimately it is so that together, you know, we glorify God. That's why. We need to have this unity of mind and spirit and interaction. So together we glorify God with one accord and with one voice. And, you, and you, that can't be done if we're allowing these kind of things to pull us apart. He says, don't let them pull, pull, pull together. Thank you very much for your thoughts. Appreciate the comments. Very good, what everyone you know, uh, said.